My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Susie Carroll. Susie is a mentor to mission-inspired women. She's president of Susie Carroll um, Inc., and she can be located at suzycarroll.com. Welcome, Susie. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to interview you as well. For everyone listening, I'm going to read a bio on Susie to kind of introduce her before I start peppering her with questions. But first, (laughs) a quick roadmap for today's podcast. We're going to follow the same trajectory as we do with all of these in this series. We're first going to look at Susie's academic background and early professional life, and then we're going to um, unpack the work that she does and some of her current endeavors with her mentorship. Then we'll turn um, towards goals that Susie has for the next three years, both personally and professionally, and then we'll wrap everything up with advice that she may have for those looking to emulate her career or get involved with her current endeavors. So a quick bio on Susie before um, we launch into questions. Susie Carroll is a mentor to often overwhelmed, mission-inspired women, a recovered busyness addict, and the founder of the Alchemy of Feminine Leadership, programs that give women permission to shine. Susie is a suicide survivor. This is life event as a young child ignited a lifelong quest to be enough. In her late 40s, she completed burned out and suffered adrenal fatigue after juggling it all for decades. She sold her brick and mortar business and began a quest of a different kind, opening her eyes to the societal legacy that indoctrinates women and so often leads to overwhelm and to women diminishing their own light. Susie calls on her 35 years of business, leadership, and life experience to guide women to further mission by revealing what's getting in their way and letting, and then letting go of the millennium of messages and legacies that women carry forward. So I'm excited to kind of climb into that, Susie. I think you have um, your website, which I adore, by the way. I really, I find it very, um, as a, a viewer of millions of websites a day, I find it <laughs> an amazing, um, the setup and the, you know, your concept and your brand is, is so well um, relayed in um, the you. initial landing there. But before we climb into all of that, I want to um, look at your academic background and your early professional life prior to you finding um, this life calling. 
All right, well, you're gonna get a, a laugh out of this given your background. Um, I, my early academic life was, um, I went to college for uh, fashion design and okay. commercial design and realized I have, I could care less about fashion. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. So, <laughs> I need fashion muses in my life. Um, so that was actually kind of a short stint for me. And then my, my early 20s, age 23, I began working for a printing company. And I've, I've always had something in me where um, there's always been this little inner piece of me that is striving for more. And I was, I was watching the um, sales staff and I love that freedom they had going, that they could go inside and out and didn't have to sit at their desk all day long. Mm-hmm. And there happened to be in the um, area that this printing company was, there was a woman owned printing company and we got along very well and she offered me a position and I went to work with her, uh, cut my teeth on sales. And by the time I was 25, and this is you know a long time ago, I'm 56. By the time I was 25, I'd broken the six-figure income level. Wow. I never looked back as far as school goes. And in a way, for me, that was probably a, a good choice. I'm not saying it's a choice for everybody. I'm so non-academic. I'm a very, very kinesthetic. So mm. I learn by doing. Interesting. So with it, how did you switch over from, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting life to lead and leave. I mean, you know, at 25, Mm -hmm. um, getting into six figures is, is, it's unto itself a a special reality. You know, you're running with a a certain crowd at that point. What, um, during that time period, did you acquire skills that you are, are now employing or, did you acquire skills that you definitely did not want to employ? What was the reality of that like? I, I one of the, um, a skill that has stayed with me my entire working life career has been a really good work ethic because I was mm-hmm. at that point in time in my life, I was working on 100% commission. I don't even recall base pay to be quite honest. Wow. So in a way, even though I was working for a company, I was a solo entrepreneur. And I learned at a very young age that how I showed up affected, impacted in a huge way, the level of income coming in. So that was one thing. I, the other thing I learned, and it was actually in my early 20s, I went through a, a training put on by a company called Context Training, Pursuit of Excellence. I believe they're still around. Hmm. And in that, I learned um, it was, you know, there's so many different personality trait programs, methodologies out there. Mm -hmm. But um, I learned how to identify if somebody was an analyzer, promoter, controller, or supporter. And that I've used my entire life. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's just... um, it's behavioral science. It's a way of putting somebody at ease. And I love to do that. I, I, I like people to be comfortable around me. Yeah. In sales, I mean, I think people who last as long as, as you did in sales or find any happiness in it, um, frequently like those profiling traits. And there's a, I know there's a lot of different pedagogical lenses that kind of break it down as to how to look at things like that. But yeah, having those five or six subsets of people and, and realizing that that's how, you know, you break down interactions differently with each one, given what their personal motives are. It, it trains everyone to be really observant, right? This kind oh, of 
Exactly. In that, of course, as we know, AIDS in communication mm -hmm. um, when we're actually you listening. Serve someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you if you can identify where your client is in that spectrum, you're able to serve them better. I, I remember one of my biggest clients way back then was he was an analyzer. And he needed information. He needed to come out to the plant. He needed to see how our file systems worked. And that was what he needed to feel comfortable. Um, my clients that are, uh, would have fallen into that more controlling category. And this is just like, give me the information, straight shoot it. Just don't waste my time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find, I'm, I'm curious as, as a kind of a, a tangent, but what happened when personalities, did you have overlaps of people that represented a little bit of both? And if so, were you able to accommodate that or did the... You know, I don't remember specifics. I, I don't mm -hmm. remember ever having a, a problem, um, like misidentifying. Um, okay. But absolutely i know even with myself as i've gotten older i realize you know i kind of draw from all quadrants right there's yeah. still a, there's still a dominant okay yeah there's yeah. still a prevailing yeah mm -hmm. so did you stay with the same company for that entire time period did you stay with or did you bounce around no 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 i've had a very twisty turning career um i tend to uh shake everything up every seven to ten years <laughs> Okay. I, I love new. Um, yeah. So I don't, how long did I stay with that company? I don't remember. Um, but I got married and we moved actually to the town I live in now. And so that, that uh, predicated me parting. Um, but I brought a lot of my clients with me. I had such good relationships that I, I worked out of a, a local company and I continued on uh, serving my printing clients. Um, and that went on for several years and then I got pregnant mm -hmm. a mom and you know everything changes <laughs> so is that when you launched your your um your mentorship or how did that kind of climb yeah you know um in two that so um twisty turning I I worked um in advertising uh print media and then I went from there into um I was a national sales director uh, working for a manufacturing company and flying around the country and training uh, groups and working with rep groups. And then I went from there, came back to the company where I worked in advertising, came back as their advertising director. And so all told, I worked for that particular company for 15 years. And then I was really getting the itch. I wanted to own my own business. And I remember, um, I share this a lot now, I just launched a thought. Like, okay, I want to own my own business. I'm really clear of two things. I want it to help people and I don't want it to be retail. <laughs> and I'm laughing because two years later, I ended up purchasing a, a nutrition, nutrition and wellness center, which is retail. Yeah. But you know, you don't, you, you get what you need. You always get it what you ask for. And I owned that for 10 years. In fact, it was um, July 30 or yeah, December 31st of 2019 it was five years since I sold that mm -hmm. and that was extraordinary it was it was hard it was where I I learned so much about building teams and I navigated that business through the recession wow uh, rough time yeah. to grab your uh, your first retail no kidding yeah well I've had it for a few years up until then okay um, 
And so was your first business, the retail store? My first, yes. So you launched the thought, I want to own a business. I just don't want it to be retail. And then you acquired a retail store. Uh Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you managed it through the recession. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I feel really good about that. It was a tough, and in our small town, we're very cut off. So we're about, um, we're about 18 months behind the trends that hit Seattle. So mm-hmm. our recovery was almost 18 months after everybody else started to recover. Yeah. Um, but I did it. I, I, I did not do it unscathed, though. And I think that's a really important piece is that that store that experience um carrying it through the recession is where i really tuned in it was brought to my awareness that i had um i had a problem with busyness i was very addicted to it Hmm. and how i kept my sanity was i would stay busy i needed to feel like i had had control of everything all the time. It was the, the juggling of all those balls. So she's a woman, as a mom, as a, a wife, um, just keeping those all up in the air. And if I dropped one, I would have felt like I had failed. Hmm. And I remember a friend of mine who's a, a master coach said, Susie, you're, she's also a psychotherapist. She said, you're addicted to busyness. And I was like, I'm what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we sat down and worked together and she, she asked me to write down everything I felt responsible for. Like this was this was the weight I was carrying, and it was a, um, a notepad, single space notepad, two sides that I filled in. Mm-hmm. And then she asked me to pare it down to five. <laughs> About how Sounds hard. Yeah, I mean, even my mind swims. Here's what I want to clarify. I yeah. want to clarify with how you're defining busyness. Is it yeah. physical and mental? Is it everything in your life? And also, how did she differentiate between what you thought you were responsible for versus what you were genuinely responsible for. So how I define busyness, like um, what I teach is there's a difference between unhealthy, busy and healthy, busy. So unhealthy, busy, which was the realm I was in at that point in time is when you're using busyness as an avoidance tactic to feel what you don't want to feel. Right. It becomes, it, it's an addiction. It was my addiction of choice. I don't have any drug or substance addictions, but my addiction was busyness. I was raised by a narcissistic mother and I had a lot of childhood trauma that the busyness just covered up. Um, unhealthy busy is a type of busy that last, lacks focus and lacks intention. Whereas healthy busy is you have an idea, you have an intention, you've got focus around it. It's, mm. uh, it's not scurrying about massively on the hamster wheel from the minute you wake up till the moment you attempt to go to sleep. And if you're in unhealthy, busy, you have a hard time sleeping. Right. It's of course. Just, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the second question? How so did she- I, I was wondering how she defined what you were. She said, you know, write everything down that you're responsible for. And I thought that's tricky. Because a lot of people can say they're responsible for things that someone else can say. That's not necessarily your responsibility. But if there's no one involved in your system that's fulfilling them, this is a bit of projection coming out. <laughs> I, you know, and I think unabashedly, you know, I think um, I, my list, too, would be both sides of a page. And, um, and it's not that I desire that. It's that I think, well, I've set up my life and my system in that, like, I, 
I am kind of tasked with that because I, I took that task on so many years ago and things of that nature. And so I'm wondering how she helped you because it sounds like you pared it down to five and part of that is parsing out what you truly are responsible for versus what you're just self-assigning. Yeah, so um, if I remember correctly, this is quite a while ago now, um, I, I'm an idea person. And so I was jumping on every single idea. I have a very, I'm very creative. I have a creative mind. I can go a zillion different directions. So for me, it was really just narrowing that all down. And you know, Susie, let's get focused. What is most important to you right now? And so as identifying your, um, uh, your core values, essentially, um, I don't like to use core values. What I, I see when working with women is the minute you start talking about core values um, or looking at a values list, because women are so hard on themselves, let's say you say, okay, integrity is one of my core values. Immediately, women go into, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. So I call it core importance. What's most important to you? So, um, you know, what's most important to me in that point in time was the viability of my business. Mm -hmm. my family, my relationships, my health and well-being, which had completely, it wasn't anywhere on my list. Um, and furthering the growth of my business. I think that's how I pared it all down, you know, and, and you know, taking care of my, my uh, you know, household, you know, what I would call a household, making sure you're on top of your finances and your bill, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I was just, I was volunteering everywhere. I was on, at that point, I was on three boards. At wow. the same time, yeah. Um, anytime anybody asked me to do anything, I was saying yes. And I was saying yes because I had yet to understand this unmet need I had, which I know what it is now, with, of appreciation. So, um, and again, that's from childhood trauma that I just needed to feel appreciated. And I got that fixed by going out and helping everybody. Mm -hmm. So I had to ratchet way back on the helping. Um, I learned how to say no. Eventually, I learned how to say no without feeling guilty. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting that's mm -hmm. i yeah i think a lot of people women in particular that i've spoken to over the past year would struggle with that you know people yeah. can say no but there's there seems to be a guilt attached to it all the time and the guilt is attached just because of our social conditioning as yes. women right so we have you know women we have these three beautiful innately inherited traits of being nourishers givers and pleasers and that's also been um, uh, extra impacted by the social conditioning uh, that, that we are supposed to take care of. We women take it to the next level and think we need to fix everything as well, which we don't. Um, but those are the, also the traits that often trip us up. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're, we're nourishers, we're givers, we're pleasers, and we overdo it so often and forget about ourselves. Yeah, anything in excess, right? Anything can yes. be dangerous in yeah. excess, including yeah. <laughs> giving. Absolutely. I am one of the courses I was teaching. I I did this. Um, uh, I, I call it overing. You know, we're overwhelmed. We're over. We're overgiving. We're overoffering. And I I did this graphic that had um ovaries, and then at the top it said O O V A R overing. You know, we we own this. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a cute pun. So when you, when did you launch, when did you find you had this meeting, you were exiting your retail experience. Did you know that you were going to climb into or into coaching and mentoring or did you, have you realized that your company yet? No, my life never goes quite on the trajectory. I think it is 
going to go. I'm yeah. learning to accept that. So when I, I sold my store, I had the idea. I wanted to take a month off. Just like, this has been a dream of mine to take a month off. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I understand so that. And um, one month passed and I was so darn tired. In that month, I was diagnosed with level four adrenal fatigue. So oh. yeah, had completely blown my adrenals out. Um, long story short, my, my mother became very ill. My mother passed away. I was, uh, September rolled around and I was so extraordinarily tired and I had a dream and a crazy dream. And before I even got my head off the pillow, I knew I was supposed to take a year long sabbatical. Called my husband at work and I said, Hey, he was coming home at lunchtime. I said, when you come home, just hang out for a minute. I need to talk to you. And so I had the, I was very lucky. I had the, the monetary means to be able to take a year off without worrying at all about finances. I took everything off my plate and I called it my year of no. Excellent. So it was, I started it in the fall of 2015. I had a mantra for the year and my intention for that year, what I'd already unwound quite a bit from my busyness habits, but I wanted to learn how to be with myself and how to, to sit, how to um, not feel agitated if I wasn't doing anything. And it was from that year that really everything I do now was born out of. I learned things, I'm very intuitive. Um, being in that quiet space as hard as it was, was extraordinary. One of the things I realized is women especially we have such a skewed sense of how much we can accomplish in a day yeah yeah so i embarked on a hired a, a one woman research firm and she helped me with the questions and i embarked on interviewing um which i have no background in it turns out i loved it gives you permission to ask people questions and i interviewed um women around the world on the subject of overwhelm and busyness mm -hmm. and out of that the first rendition was born and that was the practice of sacred selfishness mm -hmm. which I love that yeah so it is sacred selfishness is the practice of prioritizing self giving to yourself first so you have more to give to the world but not from a place of resentment and depletion from a place of health and happiness so yeah. was that a philosophy? Was it a coaching um, oh. like a lens that you used or was it a book? How are you em employing the practice of sacred selfishness? Yeah, it's both a philosophy and a coaching lens. I have yet to write a book that's bubbling up to the surface now. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely a coaching lens. During my sabbatical, um, I had a lot of random conversations. You know, I live in a small town, so... Um, walking down the sidewalk and you know somebody and I'd ask them how they are as women and 90% of the comeback would be I am so overwhelmed <laughs> so that's where this all came from and I, I began to notice even within myself you know I had taken everything off my plate the only thing I was responsible for at that point in time was my health and my relationships that was it and I still felt overwhelmed. And what I learned from that was overwhelm isn't necessarily all the stuff that you're doing. Overwhelm is your emotions. Mm -hmm. 
all these emotions that we're navigating, um, the shoulds, the have tos, the need tos, the self-comparison um, that I'm not good enough and I need to do more, I need to, be, I, I need to be more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredibly powerful. I think that um, anyone who sat with, you know, a laundry list of things to do and then sat with nothing could easily say that being overwhelmed is a state of mind, you know, that we've all had places, well, most of us have had places where you're getting a million things done and you still feel like you have time to get more things done. And then you've got two things on your plate and you just feel like you can't handle any of it. I think you're right. It is a state of mind and it sounds simple, but it's, it's a very powerful realization when you get there. And then the next step, is for me, the next logical is, well, how do we get to the state of mind where we don't feel overwhelmed? What right. is the path to that, to constantly living in not being overwhelmed? Right. Well, you start with, um, in fact, this is an exercise I take people uh, through in my Calling in Clarity, which is my newest body of work. And the very first thing we do, and it sounds very simplistic, in fact, when I first offered, I thought, wow, is this actually going to work? It works amazing, is I have clients brain dump uh, and brain dump uh, to me means just taking everything that is knocking about in your head and putting it down on paper. And I have them just go for five minutes and write everything, every thought that is that they're holding in this mental space and get it down on paper. Mm -hmm. And almost always when that exercise is completed, they'll look at it and go, wow, this is very random and unconnected. I'm like, yes, it is. It's, and then through the a process they take them through, we start to break those random unconnected thoughts down into categories. Mm -hmm. um, and then another piece of that is looking at, all right, what is essential and what is choice? Because often we think, we think what is essential is actually choice. I've made this choice. And a really in, important element in this is, as I was talking about earlier, is your most, what I call your most important. So I'm, I'm, I have, my most importance for me are unscheduled time, meaningful connection, forward movement, inspiring others, and healthy living. And then I have things underneath that. So before I make a decision to do anything, I look at my list. Whether it's an idea I've had or I've been asked to do something or participate in it, I'll look at my list and go, all right, hmm, am I going to have time for my unscheduled time? Or will that, will that impede on my unscheduled time? Or is this connection in a way that I like to connect? It's a way of staying in alignment with your, your true self. Yeah. I mean, and, and looking at it in those terms, essential versus non-essential mm -hmm. is interesting. It's kind of crucial, right? And it does, I like it because the metrics on it are a little bit more loose, but it does confine things into two funnels. I mean, the concept of deciding that it, it, you know, a task comes up and is, it, is doable because it follows, it meets the curriculum of these things you've decided before you even knew the task. Mm -hmm. So you don't assign value to the task before you've given yourself this correct kind of funnel to put things into. Right. I think it would, it should, in, in theory, provide a reality that is um, uplifting. You know, mm -hmm. if 90% of what you're doing is falling into the essential category, you know, it's mm -hmm. those meets the cr criteria of what you have there. Something I am so passionate about in regards to women is 
we're extraordinary beings. We really are. And if we're going and doing everything for everyone and not, and not practicing this piece of sacred selfishness, we're diluting our ability to make an impact. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you've got your, your uh, hand on so many burners, whatever that saying is, and you're going in so, so many different directions, it's like you're taking water and watering it down and diluting your impact. Right. Yeah. yeah. Without realizing it. Without the time. realizing it. And that's what I had done. I had so diluted uh, my innate ability, um, which for me is just really... Uh, my innate ability is to be able to put women at ease and connect on a deep level. And I can really quickly start to see what's overwhelming a person and mm-hmm. help them, you know, find their own plan. I'm, I'm not about telling a person how to do it. This is all about finding your own way. Um, but I get to guide women through that. And I love that. But leadership is so important in, in with ourselves, in our own little personal sphere, in, in the outside world. And we're not going to be effective leaders if we're going in a zillion different directions. Yeah. And if we're wiped out. Right. So when you're taking on a new um, client or someone like that, is everything kind of tailor fit to what they need do you, or do you have an on-take process where you ask about goals how do you start the process in helping um, your clients or in workshops and helping people kind of unearth their own individual plans yeah, when i'm working one-on-one with a client it's all very um uh specialized custom so it starts with a conversation just finding out where they're at um you know what is it that they don't they would like to be saying and talking about that they they don't really have anyone in their life that they can talk that way with um what is it that's overwhelming them what is it that's keeping them up at night um and that's where we start and we go from there in my in my course calling in clarity i do have um it's an eight session course and we there are definitely specific steps i'm guiding a woman through starting with how we've been socialized and having them go through some processes to understand how socialization has impacted them. Mm-hmm. And then is the, in the course's goal, the end of the eight sessions, is it to have this kind of clarified view with all of these things that we've talked about that you've done with um, these essential versus non-essential and things of that nature. It's to yeah, have this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, um, I beta tested the course this summer and one of my beta test clients, she, uh, she's just extraordinarily smart. I didn't even know why she was calling me <laughs> because I, my perception of her, she really had it all together. Well, she did have it all together helping everybody else. And she had this business she wanted to launch and she couldn't get it off the ground. So yeah, taking her through this process, she was able to see how she was getting in her own way. She, mm-hmm. she realized that she was giving all her time away Yeah, and she hadn't put a label of importance on her own endeavors. And now her business is just going gangbusters. It's just really fun to watch, but, um, yeah, you know what, what's most important to you? What matters most to you and where can you listen, loosen your grip on other things in order to, to keep what matters most to you for, for you in front of you and keep the focus on that. Are there uh, physical activities that you recommend you have? um, Because I think that that is that concept as 
hefty as it is in speech is even heftier in physical practice, particularly when it comes to people who are by very nature, um, as so many women and women identified roles, you know, they're living five different realities. If they're, um, if they're parents, if they're spouses, you know, and even, um, single young women seem to have just more roles that they're fulfilling in their young lives than some other people that I've looked at in, um, our society. And I'm wondering, um, because you have people with all of those things, it seems to be hard to tell someone or to advise someone and without some kind of a, a physical activity. Like, you know, I've, I've had people suggest, um, other coaches I've talked to say, I always tell my clients, you know, can we get to you first in the morning? Like, can we cut your time? Where is, you know, the things that are servicing you for this role of prioritizing your essential things to happen first thing in the morning rather than later in the afternoon where they're most likely to be pushed back. Do you have any like physical attachment that you put to these things or is it all still based on when you're dealing with clients on a person to person basis? Uh, are you talking about me with me? When I'm talking about with your advice, when you, when you advise oh. in your mentorship, you know, with your um, clients, do you have like, do you recommend people meditate frequently? Are there any other like oh, gotcha. activities okay. that kind of accompany your method? Okay. You know, there, there's a, a really simple one. Um, so what is so becoming so popular, which I'm thrilled about, is neuroscience and how our plus how our brains are so um, this plasticity with our brains. So what, especially for a woman who has been out there in the world for a couple of decades, we've literally, and I'm talking about myself and actually every woman I work with, we have trained our brains to be busy. And when we we try to rest we become agitated. Mm -hmm. So one of the, and this is actually how I started. I, when I had my uh, nutrition and well, wellness center, I was often offered free opportunities. And um, in this case, I was offered a, um, somebody new to town wanted to, um, offered me a Thai massage. So I was like, sure, I love massage. So I went and had the massage from him. And then when I was all done, he said, would you be interested in going on a journey? It was a shamanic journey. And I'm always up for anything new. And I knew like that much about that. But I was like, okay, sure. Why not? And he got one of those big didgeridoos out, the Australian didgeridoos, and started playing that. I don't remember the rest of it. All I know is I went somewhere. And hmm. it was very quiet. My mind stopped. I, at that point in my life, it was the first time in my entire life my mind had ever stopped. And when he brought me back to present, I said, I want more of that. It was just extraordinary. I said, how do I start? He said, you start with 10 minutes. And mm -hmm. so I, this is a starting point for everybody I work with. And I call it just taking 10. And in the morning is the best time. If you're a mom, if you can get up a little bit earlier then your kids, uh, think about things that, um, if you say you don't have time, what, what, why are you saying you don't have time? Social media is a huge time suck. You don't need mm -hmm. to get on social media in the morning. You don't need to check. You know, what, what can you clear away? Everybody can find something. Um, and for 10 minutes, just sit with yourself. I don't call this meditation because people get freaked out about meditation. I can't do this right. So how I suggest is take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and do that three times. Have a pad sitting next to you. 
because in the beginning, you're going to get a thought and you're going to get stuck on it. There's no right or wrong way to do this. If a thought comes in, just write it down. Don't beat yourself up. Just write it down and then just go back to your quiet space of breathing. So that's how I started with 10 minutes. Within two weeks, I was up to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's how fast you can train your brain to be quiet. And then I had to course correct a bit because it was such a peaceful place. I didn't want to get up and go to my, my office. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a powerful, it's a common thread. I ask because um, it's just become an absolute staple you know, to people who are helping others find clarity through a myriad of lenses from um, everyone I've spoken to, you know, people finding clarity through bringing new technology platforms and things that you wouldn't think would bring clarity all the way down to people have this, this small side note of like this meditative, if you will, like activity if it's not meditation. And it, it's the, the common thread is five to 10 every day. Yeah. And um, people say, you know, try to get it done in the morning because that way it's not on your to do. Like meditation does not become something that is on your to do list. <laughs> it should, right. there, you know, be something before that starts. So, and I like the irony of that because I am the kind of person that would probably put it on a to do list or something. <laughs> but um, if I wasn't already such a believer in it, it would definitely be something that was just hanging out there at 10 p.m. at night where I was like, ah, I got to meditate, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the other beautiful thing about doing in the morning, it sets a tone for the day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so after looking back over everything that you've um, accomplished so far, you know, with your the business, it sounds like you kind of hinted, you dropped a little bit of a carrot about a book maybe on the horizon. Do you do three-year, three to five-year goals planning, or is it more on a one-year or one-month um, basis? And if so, what is what are your plans or your goals for the next um, future? You know, those are such good questions. I no longer do a five-year plan. And, and in all honesty, part of that has to do at just this point I'm at in my life. Um, I, I do feel like I'm in a transition currently. So I've, I've quite happily been working from home for the last few years. But, um, and part of that was healing my adrenals. But I'm craving more connection with people. So what I say, currently I'm playing with ideas. I'm kind of itching to get into um, a little bit more of the corporate world and work with women. These um, are overwhelmed women in, you know, who are leading teams. Um, so that's something I've been playing around with. Definitely this year I'll be leading a couple of retreats. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking into the best way to get my message out there that feels authentic with me. I'm, I'm not a lover of social media. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I really feel like where I sit right now today, I am in a transitionary period. And I really believe when I, when I went on my sabbatical, a friend of mine asked me how I was doing. And I said, you know, I'm just hanging out and the space between of what was and what will be. And I'm back there again. We never hang out there once. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. I love that space though. I love the space of transition and, and possibility, particularly when you can uncouple it from anxiety or expectation. Mm -hmm. you know? I love the word curiosity. So I'm really curious. Last year I went to the, um, it's called the World Changing Women's Summit. 
and Elaine, Elaine, a clothing designer, Elaine, what is her last name? Elaine Fisher, there we go. Um, Elaine Fisher was there. And you know how you, you, you go to something and you, or you listen to something and you walk away, usually with one pearl. And the pearl I walked away from witnessing Elaine Fisher was, that woman is so extraordinarily curious. It's in her nature. Mm -hmm. And it was watching her being interviewed up on stage and they were asking her, you know, some of the questions you're asking. And I went, wow, she's a bit of a bumbler, which I loved. So she didn't, she didn't say, oh yes, this is what we did. She said, well, we tried this and that didn't work. We tried that and that didn't work. And then we tried this and that worked. And I went, oh yes, it was almost like it was, in, it was, um, just a breath of fresh air for me because that's how I operate a bit. It's like, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I like to experiment, um, but I'm always curious. And I was really reminded watching her to always be curious. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's the, the key to um, vitality as well. You know, mm -hmm. as I climb through middle age um, hood myself, I think yes. remaining curious breathes um, a lot of the familiar life that I need you know, that we let go of throughout stress and things that it sounds like you approach. So, and in the name of curiosity, I'm curious, um, with you, if you were um, in, a, in the park somewhere in the beautiful Northwest that you live in and um, tomorrow and a young woman or a female identified individual or non-binary individual walked up to you and said, listen, um, we have a friend in common and I just wanted you to know that I've, I've spent some time in sales I killed it. I made a fantastic living and um, I had a child. I've done a bunch of different things. And now I'm looking to kind of go off on my own. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a, some time for myself and figure it out. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual? Mm, well, of course, going on a sabbatical, if you're able to, is essential, even if it's a month long. Um, to be quiet with yourself to allow that, that the peace to settle over to you. And it's like when you go to a salad bar and you make your salad by picking all the things that you love and leaving the things that you don't, I think before you can take the next step in life, it's really important to look at your life and go, you know, I really love that. I didn't like that so much. This really lights me up. Um, I wrote a blog actually about this uh, 11 unconventional steps to taking your next step in life. And even if you're currently working, it's an opportunity to feel into what lights you up and what doesn't. And what yes. do you want more of and what do you want less of? And start there. I love that. That's wonderful. And I like that visual. <laughs> so I'm a very <laughs> visual person. So I have take a sabbatical if able, um, be quiet with yourself and listen. And then finally, look over the buffet of your life and pick what lights you up. Yes. And yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. That kind of, um, I think that's one of the first times people have talked about maybe a, a calmer approach, this kind of to sit and be still and then purview what has come before and pick from that. It's such a, a steady way to actually move forward. That kind of advice, you know, people are usually, um, action items are usually very, very hyperbolic. You know, and this is very yeah. calm and mm -hmm. um, collected. 
That's wonderful. Well, this is incredible advice. And unfortunately, we're out of time, but I have a million more questions. And so <laughs> I hope that we can um, persuade you in the next year to come back on and get more into detail with um, some of the work that you're doing and the work that you've done. I really appreciate your time today, Susie. I'd love to. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, you can learn more about Susie and contact her at suzycarroll.com. That is S-U-Z-Y-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. Uh, for everyone listening, thank you for your time today. And until we talk again, remember to always bet on yourself. Sunshine.